myself till now. For swear at sight. For I never saw true beauty till this night. Seen two households, both alike in dignity. Throw your mistempered weapons to the ground! From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life. Who is it that you love? Gentle Romeo, if thou dost love, pronounce faithfully. My heart's dear love is set on the fair daughter of rich Capulet. My only love sprung from my only hate. Romeo is Venice! Maybe they will murder me. Let them find me here. Claire Danes in William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Good night. Good night. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 223, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. And this is listener request number 14, courtesy of Ariane. This is one of those weird topics where I've seen it probably considerably more times than you. That's true. I don't know if there's usually this much of a discrepancy. Uh, <laughs> you I, just watch this movie religiously. I probably like this movie more than you'd be happy about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know. I like this movie. I watched it a decent amount at a young age, and every so often I'll, I'll pop it on and watch it again. I mean, I think there's certainly things that I have complaints about as we, as we go through, but I, I do enjoy this movie. Uh, a decent amount. I enjoy it too. I just had never really sat down and watched it front to back. I had seen a lot of it at various points, sure. yeah. different parts and stuff. I was fairly familiar with it. I was obviously familiar with other adaptations of the play and everything. But yeah, watching it front to back for this podcast, I did have a little bit of 
hesitancy <laughs> at the beginning when I was like, is there going to be like a lot of Jamie Kennedy in this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> but it gets better as it goes. I started to appreciate it more. I got really into it once they get to the party and everything. But we'll get into that later. Sure. So, busy week for us. People probably still trying to figure out how to finish that Ferris Bueller episode, which was somehow over two hours. <laughs> wow. After we, like, I didn't even pay attention to what the runtime came in at. Obviously, we had the botched attempts to record. When you add in Ferris Bueller, the missing pieces, like, all together, we have three hours plus of yeah. Ferris Bueller content out there. Well, except we won't release the missing pieces until like years later. Quick turnaround. Here we are now with another episode. This is all because of the botched attempt for Ferris Bueller and not having a new episode after The Departed, so we're cramming things in. Yeah, you got to give us credit, though, for being resilient here. It as really, resilient as possible. Yeah, I mean, things could have really taken a turn after that. Yeah, it was real close to being the end. And there'll be another quick turnaround. I think the next new episode will drop probably Tuesday night or Wednesday of next week. So be on the lookout for that. And then we should start to get back to once a week, probably Monday nights, you know, whatever from there. But yeah, busy time. Keep up with what's going on on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever podcasts are found for the most part we're probably not on a few things though who knows just stick to apple podcasts don't be a weirdo yeah (laughs) if you want a sticker you can request one on twitter if you want a listener request you can ask for one on twitter as well follow us on letterboxd zach1983 matt crosby that pretty much brings us up to date with everything going on in the world a lot of activity on letterboxd i'd say oh yeah zach just Setting new records of how many movies can be No, there are other people on there that I think are completely insane. (laughs) Although I am actually watching the movies. I'm not, like, logging movies I've already seen, which I think some people do slowly over time. No, I'm only going with what I'm watching in the moment. Yeah, that was the same approach I took. Yeah. One Trashy Summer will be in June. Pretty exciting lineup, I would say. (laughs) Yeah, we were just going over the lineup. There's definitely going to be some episodes where people (laughs) are like, oh, no, what's this? Some more yeah. obscure picks. Yeah, some titles when as it drops during the week, people are like, ooh, I, what, what's Greatest Moments this week? Oh, what oh, the hell no. is this? <laughs> <laughs> I would hope that for most of our regular listeners, we're at a point where they'll just trust us on those ones and join us. I don't know that we've earned a lot of trust. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more like we've got a lot of people that are on the fence. Yeah, well... We do a lot of heavy hitter episodes now because it does seem like we get more downloads when it's something that is more universally appreciated, but sometimes we got to go a little bit more obscure. And for the trashy movie stuff, it's like a mix of known trashy movies, but then like a little bit more if you're into like the obscure stuff or into trashy stuff in general. I definitely think that there are at least a couple titles that will move the needle though. Right. Some would say that about our show just in general. There's a few titles (laughs) that people are interested in. (laughs) In fact, I think our next episode is one that people will be like, what is this? (laughs) It happens. It's the show. If you're not into it by now, then We have to do some for us. Yeah. And next episode is definitely a one for us situation, I think. Right. But this is one for the listeners. A listener request. 
Somehow we keep getting them. There'll be two more this summer. We're going to do another one before One Trashy Summer. So we've got a lot on the schedule right now. But if you're someone who has not done a listener request with us yet, feel free to text one to us. We prefer a few choices that makes it easier. Definitely. There are situations where, for whatever reason, we might not be able to do it or feel comfortable doing it for some reason. Or we already did a movie by that director recently or... One thing or another. So it's better just to come with a few choices. Let us pick one. A lot of criteria. The the selection process is a lot more complicated than you would expect. Although, to be fair, I think I've been fairly open. Oh, I agree. I agree. Listen, I'm just excited that we get listener requests still. I mean, there was a time. This is our 14th listener request. There was definitely a time where I would would have been like, wait, we have 14 listeners? (laughs) Like, how are we going to get to 14? (laughs) That's true. That's a good point. All right, let's get into it. Romeo plus Juliet, 1996, directed by Boz Lerman. Screenplay by Lerman and Craig Pierce, based on Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. Now, this is definitely like a gimmick movie, right? They're like, kind of. Let's make this like fun and guns and. It's not the only time something like this cool has music. been tried, though. And keep the original Shakespeare dialogue. You're, yeah. Okay. Wasn't there a Hamlet? Othello? Or O? I I don't think they used Shakespeare dialogue for that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. Although I don't remember. Wasn't there a Hamlet with like Mel Gibson or something? Yeah, I thought that, but I thought it was like set in more of a period piece. When I think about this movie, it's like the Montagues wearing Hawaiian shirts as part of it. (laughs) They're not even really like traditional Hawaiian shirts. They're just sort of like the most gaudy, vibrant colors, which I guess you can say is like the whole look of this movie is like vibrant colors. But when I was younger, it always seemed like the Montagues were more poor than the Capulets to me. I don't think I feel that way now, but there was something about the You mean specifically in this movie? Yeah, because of the way that they dress. Well, yeah, but they both have those like enormous buildings in the city no i know it doesn't <laughs> do make you sense. know I, 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 like i said i get it but they're just trying to be stylish yeah romeo juliet was originally published sometime between 1591 and 1595 which are just dates when you're in school like you're just like who cares how There's is that numbers. a time that ever existed yeah but when you think about it now and you're like well 400 years passed before they did this buzzerman adaptation 400 <laughs> years yeah, yeah, yeah. which is insane you can't even like wrap your mind around it let's go over the cast real fast we have leonardo dicaprio who was always pretty much locked in place as romeo yeah it's hard not to see his appeal on screen claire danes as juliet and we'll talk about some of the casting stuff with that character in a minute she was about 17 at the time John Leguizamo, Harold Perrineau, or Perrineau, Pete yeah. Postlethwaite, Paul Sorvino, Brian Dennehy, Paul Rudd, amongst others. Yeah. Imagine Brian Dennehy was Leonardo DiCaprio's dad. <laughs> I was kind of thinking that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is hard to imagine. The budget was $14.5 million. It made 151.8 at the box office. It was a huge hit. Oh, yeah. Highest grossing Shakespeare live action adaptation ever. It earned one Oscar nomination for Best Art Direction Set Decoration. And I think Catherine Martin, who did that work on this film, would end up winning for Gatsby. Mm -hmm. And 
Moulin Rouge, maybe, or, or one of the other Lerman movies. I think she's won like a couple of Oscars now, but she was nominated for this. The legacy of this film is huge, and it's one that sort of gets overlooked sometimes, maybe because of what you said, calling it a gimmick movie, but I think it's considered one of the definitive 90s films now. Clueless, Titanic, Pulp Fiction, Forrest Gump, Clerks, Pretty Woman, The Matrix, Jurassic Park. I I think it's among that list. DiCaprio, I mean, this was him becoming an icon. What was Titanic two years after this? One year. One year. In fact, on Paul Rudd's last day of shooting, they went out to celebrate, and DiCaprio was like, I'm up for this movie about the Titanic, and Paul Rudd's dad was like a big Titanic freak. Okay. And Paul Rudd was like, man, you should definitely do it if you can. You got to do it. Yeah. He was like pushing him to do it. And of course, it becomes the biggest movie ever. But if you remember, he was also cast in Boogie Nights, and then it went to Wahlberg instead. That's right. Whenever he left to do Titanic. So it was sort of a sliding doors moment for everyone. That's true, yeah. (laughs) I think it worked out for the best. I think so, too. Because Um, Wahlberg is perfect for Boogie Nights, and DiCaprio... Is perfect and becomes a huge star for Titanic. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, this is where we get that glimpse of DiCaprio, just a heartthrob. Yeah, I think this is a huge movie for women of a certain age. Men, too, but... Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I think this started a lot of ladies down the path of things quivering and being excited. And, you know, (laughs) I mean, this came out in, what, 96? Opened some doors. This was a, a VHS rental for me, you know, either the year the year it came out or the following year as a 10 year old this was one of the first like <laughs> yeah i'm i'm watching pg13 movies there's guns and this and is violence. one of them yeah yeah <laughs> it's sort of a weird movie for a 10 year old to watch not that it's like any worse really than any other pg well you don't know what movie. the hell anybody's saying yeah it's just like sure. it's complete nonsense right but and I people mean, are acting you know. completely bizarre yeah but it's like intense obviously like the the fight scene and ultimately the ending of the movie <laughs> you're like okay she's shooting you watching this a bunch of times as a kid is now it's definitely making things click a little well bit i definitely became the dicaprio on the beach certainly not from a looks perspective but over this rosalind situation and everyone is just like oh my god like who <laughs> cares writing just poetry over it. yeah <laughs> she doesn't even know who you are <laughs> yeah Everyone constantly trying to cheer me up, and I'm not having it. And then they're just like, all right, <laughs> enough. Natalie Portman was originally cast as Juliet, and they filmed some stuff with DiCaprio, and she was quickly replaced because she was only 14, and as Lerman described it, it looked like he was molesting her. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> now, 14 is actually the age appropriate of like what it is in the play it's sort of like game of thrones or something where like the characters are so young right right you've got like these 14 year olds like shooting each other (laughs) well they didn't have guns yeah i know but i'm just saying like that i'm saying the idea of that for this if you know for this reimagining of it yeah dicaprio though is 21 so they had to find somebody closer in age sarah michelle geller turned down the role due to scheduling conflicts and dicaprio then fought for Danes to win the role because he thought she was the best during the auditions. Yeah, I think she's a much better fit for this than Sarah Michelle Gellar. That's probably true, but our perception of Sarah Michelle Gellar would have been much different in 96 because we didn't really know who she was. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I agree. Based on how their careers went, it makes a little bit more sense. 
It's... I only picture Sarah Michelle Gellar as um, her character from I Know What You Did Last Summer. Julie James. <laughs> no, that's uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh. I think her name's Helen. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we know all the character names from I Know What You Did Last Summer. Ray, Barry, Helen, Julie. Uh, you, evidently, you do. Yeah. I, I really didn't. <laughs> and I just watched it not that long ago. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, and no offense to Sarah Michelle Gellar, it's hard to imagine her like pulling up some of the raw emotion that Juliet has in this movie. Yeah. And we can talk more about Claire Danes' performance. Yeah, I don't think she's great at every delivery, but I think she's mostly good in this. Yeah, and I think you believe that the tears are real and everything. Yeah. I don't know if we would have gotten there with Geller or not. I Oh yeah. A lot of emotion between our, our two leads. I don't, they, they bring it. I don't know that standpoint. Geller can't do it. We've just never seen it. As far as That's I know. That's true. Yeah. Maybe in Scooby-Doo. <laughs> While it retains the original Shakespearean dialogue, the film represents the Montagues and the Capulets as warring mafia empires with legitimate business fronts in contemporary America where swords are replaced by guns. The brand names of the guns are things like dagger and sword. There's also a FedEx-style delivery service called Post Haste. Okay, that checks out for me. I think that's kind of funny. Some characters' names are also changed. Paris, Lord and Lady Montague, and Lord and Lady Capulet are given first names. Friar Lawrence becomes Father Lawrence, and Prince Aeschylus is rewritten as the police chief of Verona Beach, Captain Prince. Uh-huh. Friar John is eliminated, and some characters change families. Gregory and Samson, played by Zach Orth and Jamie Kennedy, are Capulets in the original, but Montagues in the film. Abra, known as Abram in Shakespeare's text, switches the other way. But aside from that, the dialogue is largely the same, except taking place in a modern times, which I think was like almost an orgasm for English teachers across the country because they were like, holy fuck, this is perfect. This is what's going to teach this to my class. And it is still used today, I think, in a lot of classes. Yeah, here we go. I can remember in ninth grade (laughs) watching both this and the older one from the, uh, yeah, the 68 one. Yeah. Yeah. I think we only watched that one, which has nudity in it. Yeah. It was sort of wild to have that. In a class. <laughs> People flipping out. <laughs> Me? Yeah. <laughs> Fainting. Right. The film was shot in Mexico on mostly constructed sets, which gives it that unique look. In a lot of the sequences, particularly the beach sequence, the duel between Mercutio and Tybalt, you can see an approaching hurricane, which actually did hit the land while they were filming and damaged a lot of sets and stuff and made like oh, shooting shit. pickups really hard. Okay. It looks fake when they shoot the sky. I don't know if you see like that. Yeah, yeah, right. It yeah. kind of looks fake because of the all the different filters and weird stuff they're doing. But that wind that's like blowing everywhere is completely real. Oh, it's yeah. like an approaching hurricane. Okay, right. But it adds to the scene. It, Definitely. It's like this oh, yeah. weird, oh, tense there's so moment. much of the negative things about this movie i would say that certainly trumped by the stylized look and everything that's going on i don't know i don't love Baz Luhrmann by any means but he does have this way of creating these like cool intense emotional i would say his movies are cut together like very frantically and they're kind of manic yeah but i do think he has a certain 
style that's like fun. Because I like this, and I I did like Gatsby too. I don't think it's a masterpiece or anything, but I thought it was like a fun watch. Yeah, I would agree. Although I think that Gatsby might be the only other one I've actually seen. Yeah, I've never seen Australia. I know that. I never saw that. I never saw Moulin Rouge. I've never seen that start to finish. And I've never seen Strictly Ballroom. <laughs> okay. And I don't know that there's any more. Like he really didn't direct right. a lot of movies. There's the music video for Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen. <laughs> His upcoming project is that Elvis movie with Tom Hanks as Colonel Parker. Oh, okay. I didn't know about that. Yeah, I think Austin Butler is Elvis, I think. Maybe. Okay. I think it was filming in Australia when Hanks got COVID. Gotcha. I think. Sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> the Jesus statue that dominates Verona was actually a visual effect. In reality, it was just two feet high, which the first time you watch it, you don't really think of that. But then when you know that fact and then rewatch it, it becomes okay. obvious because yeah. it clearly is just like oddly in the distance. Like they have those giant Montague and Capulet buildings right, and then right. like in the middle down that road, but in the distance it's like, oh yeah, easily you could, sure, sure. You could do that. that. Then there's that other giant statue on top of the church, but not really sure what that is. I think that's just part of a set or something. Yeah. Okay. Before we jump into the movie itself, I think we should mention the soundtrack a little bit, which is also mm-hmm. pretty huge. Yeah, I have it on vinyl. <laughs> something I'm not ashamed to admit on this show. Wow, I'm surprised it took a listener request for this movie to come up. It seems just, like you're like a super fan of this This thing. is one of those things. If I feel like you're not into something, I, I don't really want to talk about it. Because sometimes you can just... <laughs> Your mood can dictate the show. So it's like, yeah, I am a fan of this movie. Wow. This is all like a big coming out party here. (laughs) (laughs) Big reveal. Big Romeo and Juliet fan over here. Yeah. Well, I bought the movie Voodoo to watch it for this podcast. There you go. This is a cool soundtrack. I I would put these songs on like mixed CDs at various points in my life, you know? (laughs) Jesus Christ. The radio number one stuff. crush was on every mixtape. <laughs> yeah, I specifically remember number one crush being on the radio a lot back on like the uh, modern rock channels in the late '90s. After this movie, Love Fool was also a huge hit. Although mm-hmm. I never really associated it with this movie, probably because it's on the Cardigans album. Also, it's right. not just like exclusive to this soundtrack. Neither is number one crush, but this version of yeah, it yeah. is. And it was actually like an old song that was I, remixed. It's always this Radiohead song for me. I like that. The one that's on the soundtrack or the one that's on in the movie? On the soundtrack. The one at the end of the credits is not on the soundtrack. It's from OK Computer. Yeah. But he wrote it for this movie. Okay. But then they put it on OK Computer and it's not... A, like the one on the soundtrack is talk show host. Right. And then the one at the, at the end is exit theme for yeah. a movie which but is talk funny. show host is used multiple times in the movie right yeah, yeah. there is the two yeah, yeah. twice yep yeah. it's a cool soundtrack but I, that adds to the effect there's like the choir singing when doves cry and stuff right. yep. which is sort of strange there's like that r&b song that is sung by the woman at the party it's oh like yeah that the piano muse, song yeah. yeah yeah it was a big hit it was a big hit in Australia, where Lerman's from, I think it was like the number one selling CD or something of that okay. year. Yeah, it harkens to a different time. I I can't imagine a movie having a soundtrack like that now, okay. where it's like its own thing that people are excited about. Yeah, I think yeah. that that just sort of speaks to how music is now. People right. don't really buy albums, and there isn't like the idea of an album anymore. Yeah. But 
yeah, it used to be like a special collection of songs. And you would have maybe one or two songs that were specifically for the soundtrack that you w- wouldn't be on that ba- band's album. Right, right. And then you'd have like some other ones that also wouldn't be on their albums, but they wouldn't be like the big hits or whatever, but they would be like B-sides or something. So you'd have like a collection of songs that for the most part you couldn't get anywhere else. I mean, there'd be some crossover to their individual albums, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it is weird to think about definitely over like the last 10 years now probably that there'd be a movie where you'd be like, I, I want to get the soundtrack for this. But that's definitely something I used to think at different parts of my There's life. There's still like really cool scores sure, for movies. Sure, but sure. yeah, the collection of songs right. thing. Outside I mean, of like a Tarantino or something. That's true. But yeah. his has always been like collected stuff that already exists. Right, right. I'm more thinking like, even if it's not like cool pop songs that are like all unique and individual, like even if it's something like My Heart Will Go On with Titanic, oh, that's yeah. a song that's like written for the movie. It's a huge hit on its own. Aerosmith, Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Yeah, it's a great example. Absolutely. It's all that same idea. It just doesn't really yeah. happen as much. They still try to do it for like the new James Bond movies and stuff. They'll always mm-hmm. have like some new song, but I don't know. It just it never really... No, those never really hit. ...hit the mainstream the same way for me. All right, let's get into it. Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured piteous overthrows doth with their death bury their parents' strife. The fearful passage of their death-marked love and the continuance of their parents' rage, which but their children's end naught could remove is now the two hours traffic of our stage. Two households, both alike in dignity in fair Verona, where we lay our scene. From ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of these two foes, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life. film opens with the prologue brought to us on tv by a news anchor i think this is done pretty well actually it fits that woman delivers this dialogue in a way that makes it pretty seamless yeah it feels like a real news reporter except she's saying shakespearean language right right in fair verona Let's be honest, Verona actually seems pretty fucked. It doesn't seem like a great place. (laughs) It seems scary, yeah. People are just shooting each other in the streets. 
Yeah, and it just doesn't look nice. No. It looks wild, and any, you could just be murdered at any second. Right, right, yeah. Which really makes you wonder about Mantua and the other surrounding areas, if it's like Oof. so horrifying Mantua to get is banished. Like a dump. <laughs> Why aren't there more places in the world? Yeah, I know. Two families dominate the city, the Capulets and the Montagues. They are not only business rivals, but enemies perpetually at war. The animosity of the older generation is not only felt by the younger relatives, it reverberates through both houses and is blindly carried onward. And my big question is why? Why did this start? What happened? And so I researched it, and I was going into like the original text beyond the movie, it doesn't really seem like there is an answer. It's not ever really explained anywhere. There's just sort of allusions to this ongoing thing. And I think that sort of adds to the tragedy, I yeah. guess, is that like... Well, it's, I, it's supposed to be part of the point, maybe. That, yeah, that who knows why this even started. Right, it's right. just a thing. And it goes back like so far. The film is highly stylized, which is sort of divisive. I think it got mostly positive reviews, but there were some people that didn't like it. I know Ebert was a noteworthy holdout and didn't like it at all. Mm. But I think the idea to make it appeal to younger people was a home run. Like I think that worked totally. perfectly. Oh yeah. Because out of all of the Shakespearean works, Romeo and Juliet definitely appeals to young people the most because they yeah. relate to the characters. And the whole idea of it really besides young love, which is the number one thing, the number two thing is like fuck your parents right like why should we carry this bullshit like yeah whatever you're doing shouldn't apply to us anymore well, that whole idea i never really read much about the project this is kind of really just a surface level love for me like it's just you know something that i enjoy watching from time to time I have fond memories of watching it when i was younger uh so but it's not something that i go read about a lot so i never really realized until doing just the bare minimum research that i do for this show that DiCaprio was like so in on this project. I know you said he was like attached for the role from the beginning, but apparently he was like a very big pusher of the movie too, like wanting to help get this made. Yeah, he flew out to Australia on his own dime to to shoot like little things to help raise funds for yeah. the movie and stuff with producers and stuff like that. Yeah. So it captured his interest. Yeah, and I mean he maintained a relationship with Lerman obviously to make Gatsby all those years later which stands out as like sort of an odd choice at that time period for DiCaprio oh yeah yeah like I said I mean I think we both liked the movie but at that point in time pre the Revenant it seemed like everything he was doing was trying to get an Oscar and that is not the type of movie you're gonna get an Oscar (laughs) for no (laughs) there's just a lot of flamboyance added to the movie bright colors the Mercutio character yeah and it, it sort of bends the words of Shakespeare to a Mardi Gras style atmosphere. Okay, I yeah. don't know what the carnival, that kind of an idea. Uh, right, yeah. It's not just modernized, but completely blown out and heightened. Oh, yeah, for sure. You, you've got the Montague boys. I mean, one's got pink hair, Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. The Montague boys show up at a gas station. There's a couple of Capulets there as well, and they clash. Oh, yeah. Honestly, the Montagues kind of embarrass themselves in this scene. Yeah, they, I just think they cower and back down like so immediately. They seem like clowns. I gotta give it to the Capulets. I mean, I, I know I talked about the attire, but I mean, they just seem like they got style. 
you know? Yeah. Their guns seem cooler. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think in the text, Tybalt is described as a flashy or showy swordsman, and so they incorporated this whole concept into the gunplay of Liguizamo, where he was going to incorporate like flamenco style into right. the gun stuff. But it sort of permeates not only his character, but the other Capulets that he rolls with. Definitely. I think Leguizamo is amazing in this, too. I mean, the character is like, I don't know. He can be like so goofy in things that he's in. Right. And I mean, this character is silly, but I think he's awesome. I had no idea there was going to be like this much effusive praise oh, for yeah. this movie. Listen, a lot of good things to say about it from me. They're led by Benvolio, Romeo's cousin, played by Dash Mihawk. He was a guy that like popped up in a some things and then kind of just went away. He was the cop in Silver Linings Playbook. That's right, yeah. A reemergence. Well, the Capulets are led by Tybalt, Juliet's cousin, played by Leguizamo. Tybalt's not interested in peace, despite Benvolio's pleas. Yeah. You gotta give it to Benvolio. He is constantly trying to keep the peace. It's a bizarre scene. A gunfight erupts. No one gets killed. But there's some collateral damage, not really to people or anything, but the gas station explodes. Well, always it was weird to me when Tybalt puts that like scope on his gun and shoots the one Montague dude, the dude from What Hot American Summer. Yeah. There's no blood or anything. You can't really well, tell what Well, we'll talk about this later. I think Lerman is not great at shooting violence. Yeah, It's yeah. really cheesy, and you don't really see anything ever. Right. Part of that is because it's PG-13, but it's not just gun stuff. It's punching and slapping and stuff. It always cuts in a weird way. The stakes are sort of weirdly low for gunfights throughout the whole movie. <laughs> like, everyone is always wielding guns, but no one's actually getting sh- shot in a way that's, like, seemingly damaging. Well, until they do. Yes. That does <laughs> eventually happen. It's a bizarre scene for a lot of reasons, but it's also a tough scene for me. Because, like I said, I hadn't really watched this movie front to back was pretty familiar with it, but didn't really know all the parts. And so I sit down and watch this thing, and, and I'm getting overloaded with these Montague boys. The boys, the boys. Jamie Kennedy, Zach Orth. Yeah, yeah. And Mihawk, or Mihawk, I don't know how you say his name. I was thinking to myself, this is going to be tough <laughs> to get through this if there's yeah. a lot of these people. <laughs> because Jamie Kennedy, look, I think he's kind of the right guy for that character in Scream, but outside of that... Yeah, yeah. He not a huge stinks. fan. He does mostly stink. <laughs> it's actually shocking to see him in other things besides Scream. Right, right. Because it's like, why would anyone cast him? <laughs> <laughs> the shootout creates further chaos in Verona, and the chief of police, Captain Prince, reprimands both families, warning them that if such an event occurs again, their lives, quote, shall pay the forfeit of the peace. So basically, if you fucking idiots keep doing this shit, we're going to start putting some of you to death. That's right. (laughs) That's the threat overhanging everyone. (laughs) Emo Romeo sitting on the beach, not involved in the fracas, just journaling and smoking cigs. He's the heir apparent. He is the son of Lord and Lady Montague, and he's hung up on some chick named Rosaline, who we never see, right? No, and I'm. it's like her name's not even mentioned in dialogue like that much. It is a few times. A couple times, yeah. At one point, they have, like, his boy. I don't know how to describe that guy. His sidekick, like, Bartholomew or whatever. Oh, the dude from Bring It On. Yeah. 
<laughs> he's a <laughs> he's I'm, a Montague as well. Yeah, yeah. But like at one point they have him like write Rosalind <laughs> on a chalkboard or like a marker board or whatever. Just to I guess to point out like what they're talking about. Rosalind is actually also a Capulet, but not the daughter of the patriarch, which is sort of why it's like a gray area as to like why she she would have been at that party that they go to later and they don't really like talk about it. It doesn't really factor in, but I think it's kind of weird. Oh, she's a Capulet too? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Apparently everyone in the city is one or the other. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so we definitely have to pick a side for you sure. You can either marry someone you're related to or someone you're enemies of. Right. <laughs> That's it. Benvolio, his cousin, is like, move on, dude. Plenty of fish. Yeah, really. Stop it with this nonsense. We briefly meet Dave Paris. <laughs> Paul Rudd looking exactly the same as he does, you know, 30 years later, basically. We're approaching. He's the governor's son. He's considered the most eligible bachelor of Verona. He is seeking the favor of Fulgencio Capulet's daughter, Juliet. But Capulet says Dave must wait. She's still too young. Two more years. And this is cut over a bunch of different locations, this conversation, one of which involves a sauna. So we get to see a shirtless Paul Servino. Just a joy for everyone. (laughs) Just a wild situation to be like, hey, I want to date your teenage daughter, even though I'm clearly in my 20s. Let's hang out in a sauna and talk about it. (laughs) It seems up the time. (laughs) What time is it? I don't know. 96. (laughs) Good point. Yeah. Benvolio and Romeo learn of a Capulet party that evening, which they decide to gate crash. Well, Mercutio has invitations. Right. Yeah. But we haven't met him yet. Right. I guess the costume element can make this make sense, maybe. That they're like, we'll go unnoticed. Yeah. Yeah. But do they know It does that? seem fucking risky. Guys are just holding machine guns there. And the way they fucking pissed their pants over Tybalt earlier, and then they're just all willing to go to this party. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I think in the original play, that opening scene does not involve these people. Right. I think they just okay. like amended it, and that's yeah. why certain people switched houses and stuff to just set up that opening sequence at the gas station. So maybe it makes more sense then that like the actual Montagues and not just the people that work for them would be more bold and not afraid. Yeah, I, it's. I mean, it is a bold move, though. Although Benvolio, right? I think, would have been a part of that opening scene. I don't. Yeah, know. I think so. I, it's been a long time since I I read the actual Romeo and Juliet. I'm not sure who's in what scene. <laughs> Believe it or not, I don't remember. <laughs> Romeo agrees to go upon hearing that Rosaline is attending. That's the thing. I think Romeo would have been like, you know, this seems like a bad idea. But as soon as he heard like Rosaline's going to be there, he's like, we should check out this Capulet party. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a good time. Maybe one of the more embarrassing and cringy moments is that high five that they do. Oh, yeah. When they're like getting into the car. Yeah. I mean, the Montague boys are not cool. <laughs> Typical... Rich pricks. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Just dorks. <laughs> Gloria Capulet, Juliet's mom, is a trip, especially in this yeah, opening here. Her. Yeah, in this like outfit that she's in. She's screaming for Juliet. Yeah. Completely uncomfortable being in a room with her alone, though. Finally, we meet Fair Juliet, played by Claire Danes. So Claire Danes, at this point, is coming off of that one season of My So-Called Life. Sure. She's still a few years away from... I would say, like, the peak of her attempting to be a movie star that didn't really go that well, which would be 1999. Okay. 
where she released the Mod Squad and Broke Down Palace That's in right. the same year. Yeah. Neither were that big of a hit, and but, it sort of ended the dream. Both movies that we'll do on the show eventually one day. <laughs> yeah. Let's do the Mod Squad. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, she discovered her second act through TV with yeah, Homeland. Homeland, big hit. But it never quite clicked. This, in a weird way, is probably the biggest movie she was in. Not just success-wise, but in terms of what she's known for. For sure. Because nothing else really clicked that well. Yeah, I don't think there was something that resonated with the mainstream as much as this. But she's still young and fresh-faced here. Like I said, she's four years or so younger than DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. Being younger at the time that I saw this, I was certainly uh, captivated by her. She's definitely cute, but she she has like an understated quality to her. She certainly captured the imagination of a whole generation of guys between this and my so-called life. Back-to-back. Sure. (laughs) Juliet's mother and her nurse. I like the idea of just having a nurse with you at all times. It's like something I need. (laughs) But for actual physical ailments. Well, this is like one of those rich people thing because it's clear that the nurse mostly raised her. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Lady Capulet's just sort of like dropping in and out, you know, when she's not busy hanging out with Tybalt. They're both pushing Paris onto her. Juliet, not really all that interested, and she never really gets interested, to be honest. The night is punctuated by fireworks exploding in the sky, and of course, known for the costumes, specifically Juliet's angel costume. Oh, yeah. I associate those angel wings as one of the iconic things from this movie. Yeah, I had a girlfriend in high school who had like a poster on her wall that was like, it, it might have been like the scene where they're looking at each other like through the fish tank or whatever. But I don't yeah. know, you can clearly see him in like the knight's outfit and her in like the angel outfit. And I was always like, you're super cool chick for having this poster. <laughs> yeah, but the real story is this was your room and your poster. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I was just like living a, like a dual personality situation. <laughs> like psycho most of the iconic and indelible images from this film aside from the ending take place over this night you have the party you have the meeting between our star-crossed young lovers and then the aftermath aka the famous balcony scene but those are the things that i think everyone is attracted to about this movie the outfits the fish tank the pool the balcony scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All that stuff. Those bathrooms in the Capulet house, you're like, this is amazing. They have like a men's and women's room <laughs> with like a fish tank dividing them. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's rich if you've ever seen it. For some reason, Romeo's best friend Mercutio does have tickets to this Capulet party. Mercutio is- He's a man about town. Super flamboyant, dressed in yeah. drag. Super cool. Likes to sing and dance. Very confident. It takes a certain amount of confidence to dress as a woman and go to a party. Yes. And wear like a super short skirt. (laughs) (laughs) Romeo takes ecstasy and the group then proceeds to the Capulet Mansion. And as he takes the drug or shortly thereafter, he has his first premonition and we see sort of a flash. Yeah, there's like this weird like drug sequence when we get to the party. Yeah, but you literally see him walking down the church right, from the right, end of the movie. Yes. And there's a couple of different flashes throughout the movie. Well, obviously, like, foreshadowing is a Shakespeare thing in general, and just, like, all of literature, particularly old literature, it seems like. But this movie does this thing. We didn't really talk about it, but after they do the opening sequence, they basically they have Prince, like, repeat the opening 
yes. soliloquy monologue thing or whatever. And they almost do like a trailer for the movie. Oh yeah, yeah, all the flash <laughs> like cuts showing, and different like, stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's a choice. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you don't see that a lot. No, no, that's an interesting move. The party itself is wild, and it's clear that there's definitely something going on between Tybalt and Juliet's mother. <laughs> yes, for sure. Watching this movie, I was like, you know, I, I feel like this is something Zach can get behind. What? The incestuous relationship. Well, they might not be related by blood. Maybe not. Because she's technically not a Capulet if she married a Capulet. That's true. Yeah, you're right. This might check out. So it might not be that cool. (laughs) (laughs) The effects of the drug and the party overwhelm Romeo, and so he retreats to a bathroom where he is hypnotized by a huge aquarium. Then suddenly on the other side of that aquarium, he sees Juliet for the first time. This all looks awesome. Absolutely. It's got that piano song playing. Brilliant staging. It took a couple of different lighting tricks with that tank to make sure the reflections weren't showing too much behind the scenes. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. They had to come up with all these different ways of lighting it and stuff, but it looks really cool. But you were like, what What was she doing? She's like bent over at the bottom of the tank looking in. I don't know. She just oh, probably just saw some Spying on that men's room. Checking out dicks. Yeah. <laughs> And it's definition of love at first sight. She's got her angel wings on. Yeah. They don't talk yet. It all happens so fast, both unaware of who the other is. And Juliet is called away to go dance with Dave. <laughs> Poor, stupid, <Right>. idiotic Dave. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I wish a lot of my love at first sight turned out like this. Usually it turned out more like Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Where you're falling in love at first sight and they're falling in love with first sight with someone else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Romeo just whispering to himself while all this is happening, watching them dance, just being a weirdo. Right. And then there's some sort of like celebration with the song, and all these balloons are released into the air, and, and Paul Rudd's face just reacting to the balloons. Just loving those balloons. He's just like, look at him, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Juliet's completely distracted, trying to get back with this Romeo That's guy. That's right, yeah. But Tybalt spots Romeo and vows to kill him. Tibble, I mean, for the invasion. It is just like Benny from Dazed and Confused. He's got this rage. You're just like, what is it, dude? We're at a party. We're having fun. And actually, I mean, Paul Servino has to like slap him and be like, <laughs> take it easy. Don't ruin this, too. It's enough. You sleep with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Juliet's father intervenes, stopping him and just being like, dude, we're having a party. I don't want any of this bullshit here. And it does point to something because Tibble is. This dude, Romeo, it's like the son of your fucking number one enemy. But the main Capulet dude is just like, who gives a shit? Yeah, it does seem, and I guess you could read something into it, that Lord Montague and Lord Capulet, I think (laughs) Montague's name is Ted, Ted. (laughs) which is hilarious. They don't really seem as invested in it as the younger people. Yeah, But yet it's the younger people that learned it from them and are carrying it on. Because there are several scenes where all four of the adults are, are together, other, and it's yeah. not like... I mean, they're not always happy, but no. it, it's not like they, they just like freak out or right. something. <laughs> For saints have hands that pilgrims' hands do touch, and palm to palm is holy palmer's kiss. Have not saints' lips, and holy palmer's too? I, a pilgrim, lips that they must use in prayer... Well then, dear saint, let lips do what hands do. They pray, grant thou, lest faith turn to despair. Saints do not move, though grant for prayer's sake. 
Then move not while my prayers affect I taste. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> Dang! By thine, my sin is purged. And have my lips the sin that they have took? Sin from my lips? O oh, trespass sweetly urged, give me my sin again. You kissed by the book. kiss which is another famous scene with the camera spinning around them and then they learn of each other's identity and they're yeah. both taken aback by this revelation romeo leaves with his friends but quickly abandons them circling back to the capulet mansion to see juliet also seems like an insanely stupid move again look He's in love i i know back in the day when this took place it was just swords and shit but like <laughs> look around you when Romeo. this took place. I, I, <laughs> when this happened. I, that's right, yeah. Well, I believe it is based on, you know, something. But but isn't that the point, though? Right. That it just the, doesn't matter. Yeah. The stuff that they do is stupid. Yeah, exactly. I think that yeah. is the thing that people sometimes forget, because we do live in a culture now where depiction always equals endorsement right, for some yes. reason. So if the filmmakers or if Shakespeare is depicting these characters as good and, like, we're supposed to care about them, then... Everything that they're doing is for the good of love and we should be supporting right. it. It's like, no, I think he is sometimes pointing out that they are acting ridiculous. Absolutely. And that um, the, their impatience and their impetuousness and all that stuff sort of contributes to their demise in this for sense. Sure. For sure, for sure. He is acting irresponsibly. I know, but I, I, I just can't help but think, dude, <laughs> these guys are holding machine guns. Seems horrible. But soft... What light through yonder window breaks? This is the most famous scene, the balcony scene. Romeo. Oh, Romeo. Wherefore art thou Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or, if thou wilt not, be but sworn my love and I'll no longer be a Capulet. Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague. What's Montague? It is not hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part, 
belonging to a man. Oh, be some other name. <sighs> What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes without that title. <sighs> Romeo, doff thy name. And for thy name, which is no part of thee, take all myself. I take thee at thy word. So in ninth grade... Oh, boy. We studied Romeo and Juliet, and as part of it, which seems insane. I was like 14 years old and we had to do this. You had to pick one, either the Romeo part or the Juliet part, and like deliver the whole monologue. Oh, God. And I picked the Juliet one. <laughs> If that's telling. I thought you were going to have a say by the bell moment where they would like pick a Romeo and Juliet to like go up in front of the class like that one episode after Zach and Kelly oh, yeah. break up. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, really inventive staging using the pool and all of the underwater stuff. Yeah, and it's like a just kind of a wink like funny thing that he climbs up to the balcony and then she comes out like through the elevator. Yeah. I was thinking like what is his goal here to peep is he peeping on her at this point is he just trying to sneak a peek nah i think he's hoping that there's like a a meetup juliet comes outside on her own and starts talking betray thy father and deny thy name and it's that whole thing about the significance of names and the value of the name what's in a name exactly it's coming back to me now (laughs) (laughs) it's sort of answering my question about why are they fighting whereas like all she's saying is all she knows is these names are supposed to hate each other nor any other part that belongs to a man (laughs) all right (laughs) but yeah they she can't see beyond that beyond hating what you're supposed to hate based off of a name there's nothing deeper than that well when we were watching this Lindsay was like i don't get this it's the daughter of his mortal enemy and he's never seen her and I was like, well, I don't think they really let her out of the house. Oh, yeah, that, that's a big part of it. It's not like they go to the same church or something. And then I was like, well, wait, they do go to the same church. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes through different circumstances, you don't just, you know. Yeah, sure. They maybe go to different services. That's right, yeah. <laughs> they have one for the Capulets and one for the Montagues. But the whole idea, um, you might have been joking, but that is a huge point of the movie. For sure. Because... One of the big question marks that I wrote down, we'll get to it later. Okay, okay. Right. Basically, her inability to ever go out of the house is, I think, a big reason as to why certain things happen in the movie. Totally, yeah. Don't shelter your kids. He's sort of following her around the pool as she's talking to herself, which is like sort of embarrassing. But they're both very willing to just emote. So For the sure. fact that he's overhearing her emote by being like right behind her is not that big of a deal, I no. guess. He startles her, and then they fall into the pool. Don't want to ruin anything for you, but Claire Danes is wearing a wig this entire movie, and then they have like a special wig for the pool for the mm. underwater scenes. So that's not like her real hair. That's what you were wondering. Yeah. But again, I think it's a way to quote unquote modernize these scenes, these famous scenes, and make them appeal to young kids, which is probably a byproduct of Lerman's goals. I mean, obviously, he wants to sell movie tickets and have people see his movie, but. It ultimately contributes then to people getting more interested in Shakespeare and stuff. I thought it was also strange. I don't think you were with us, but we saw Gatsby in the theater, and there were girls there dressed up like flappers. Oh, wow. I think like I wasn't there. probably high school girls. I was like, wow, 
really buying in and taking this very seriously. <laughs> yeah. It was like people getting dressed up for Star Wars or something. That does seem odd. It's that's not a movie I would have expected to inspire people dressing up for yeah. the theatrical appearance. Juliet tells him if they see thee, they will murder thee. They make out in the pool. Again, making all sorts of noise. <laughs> splashing around. Yeah. They're playing Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> Swearing their undying love to each other. And I really in this whole sequence because yeah. They're promising to love each other. Clearly, you know, he wants to get in that ass. That's right. I was getting a lot of Paradise by the Dashboard Light vibes Absolutely, from this scene. I was like, yeah. they're making a lot of promises That's right, right now. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing this at, at a young age, you're, just like, you're like, oh, this is what being in a relationship and is And it like. is in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopped up on hormones. That's right, yeah. Promising anything. But it's heading towards a double suicide. <laughs> It is really the ultimate dream That's in right, a way. Yeah. <laughs> it's just they don't kill themselves, and then it just cuts to like three years later, and it's like Blue Valentine. <laughs> Romeo's like, so now I'm praying for the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like living in Mantua in one of those trailers. <laughs> yeah, he's got that Gosling hairline <laughs> from Blue Valentine. <laughs> She's like, you know, this really isn't that great. I could have stayed in Verona. A couple of filthy kids running around. Oof. Juliet tells Romeo that if he sends word by the following day, they will be betrothed. So even though this is supposedly modern times, they get engaged real fast. Oh, yeah. Things are at a rocket pace. <laughs> like, all you have to do is send word, and then we're engaged. Yeah, yeah. So that's the rules. Well, there's that part where she's, like, taken aback because... He says something about, are you going to let me leave unsatisfied? And she's like, oh, he means sex. And he's like, no, I mean marriage. <laughs> yeah, I swear your love to me. And she's like, I already did. Yeah. And then they crash back into the Ugh. pool. <laughs> Do not swear. Although I joy in me, I have no joy of this contract tonight. It is too rash, too unadvised, too sudden. Too like the lightning, which just cease to be. Everyone can say it lightens. Sweet good night. But of love, by so much ripening breath, may prove a beauteous flower when next we meet. Good night. Oh, wilt thou leave me so unsatisfied? What satisfaction canst thou have tonight? The exchange of thy love's faithful vow for mine. I gave thee mine before that stood requested! Bent of love be honorable, thy purpose marriage. Send me word tomorrow by one that I'll procure to come to thee, where and what time thou will perform the right, and all my fortunes at thy foot I'll lay, and follow thee, my lord, throughout the world. Julieta! I, by and by I come. But if thou meanest not well, Juliet! I do beseech thee. By and by I come to cease thy strife and leave me to my grief. Tomorrow will I send. So thrive my soul.
thousand times, good night. A thousand times the worst to want thy light. Next day, Romeo asks Father Lawrence to marry them, and he agrees as yeah, he sees this as an opportunity right. for peace. Oh, yeah. Stupid ass. I know. <laughs> Blowing it all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> this is when the choir singing When Doves Cry. Pete Postlethwaite plays Father Lawrence. He's the only actor in the movie who speaks using the meter in which the film or the play was written iambic pentameter mm-hmm. like most of Shakespeare's work and he actually is like delivering like a Shakespearean performance but it doesn't really stick out it just it gives his character like a certain intensity for sure some of the characters are adding a lot of their own inflections and stuff I don't think like Lerman wanted them to necessarily do it in iambic pentameter but you're not going to tell Pete Postlethwaite not to do it that's right he's a real actor <laughs> I'm sure he's performed well, he's dead now, but I'm sure yeah, yeah. he had performed a lot of Shakespeare's plays and Probably. stuff. <laughs> I don't think it, it's quite the same for like a Brian Dennehy. <laughs> Dennehy's got to bring that. He was literally Den- coming from the Tommy Boy set <laughs> right to this movie. <laughs> I mean, it was the next year. That's right, yeah. While Romeo is arranging a proposal to Tybalt's cousin, Tybalt is meanwhile hellbent on a duel. He wants blood. Oh my gosh! Romeo's appearance at this party has really fucking. That's what I was saying last night when I was watching this. Set him off. God, he's so slighted by Romeo being at the party. Juliet's nurse acts as a go-between, an ally. She knows that Juliet's parents would be against this, but she serves Juliet and assists in this clandestine relationship, which is something I didn't necessarily Google. But now that I'm thinking about it, it's sort of unexplained why she's just. Is she this? just a fan of true love? She no, knows that this is what Juliet wants. That's the thing. I just think she she's so maternal towards Juliet. This will make her happy. I'm going to do this. I don't care what the consequences are. I'll do whatever for this girl. <laughs> In secret, Romeo and Juliet are wed when Juliet leaves home to make confession. I like the wedding sequence. Who are they? Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> they actually married faster than that, I think. <laughs> I mean, is this the well, next yeah, day? Right, yeah. They're divorced 78 hours later if they hadn't <laughs> both died. This is a very Roman Catholic movie. Yeah. Just a lot of Catholic imagery For sure. throughout it. For sure. Father Lawrence has that giant cross tattoo on his back. <laughs> yeah, which is wild. Right. <laughs> There's a storm brewing. Oh, yeah. Looking for Romeo, Tybalt encounters Mercutio instead, along with Benvolio and crew. Yeah, and Mercutio's, like, really ready to start some shit. And again, Benvolio's, like, constantly trying to keep the peace and prevent it from becoming a situation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's like, let's just get out of here. Let's leave the beach. Like, I'm seeing, like, these Capulet people drive around. But Mercutio's like, I don't give a shit. BFD, basically. Mercutio continues to act in a way to inflame the situation, enraging Tybalt. I don't really know. I guess just sort of acting effeminate towards him yeah. in different ways and sort of mocking him. For sure. And sticking his butt at, out at him. <laughs> <laughs> Romeo arrives in the midst of all of this escalation. Yeah. And he refuses Tybalt's challenge. I Unbeknownst love- to everyone, he now considers Tybalt kinsman i love this sequence it's like so intense (laughs) (laughs) 
they do this whole thing where he's got to pull the gun out and knock out every bullet except for one. And then Mercutio goes to try to do it to Romeo, and Romeo's like, no, don't do it. Tybalt continues to assault Romeo anyway, trying to goad him into this duel. Mercutio intervenes, and he's sort of disgusted with Romeo. He says, quote, calm, dishonorable, vile submission, yeah. and sort of spits almost at this. I feel like he's disgusted at Tybalt, though, too, because the guy is basically surrendering to him, and you're just beating him up. No, he's talking to Romeo. Okay. (laughs) I think that's a pretty established thing. He batters Tybalt and is about to kill him, but Romeo jumps in and saves who is supposed to be his enemy. Tybalt seems like a badass, and then Mercutio just sort of handles him like pretty easily. Yeah, well, I mean, when you dress like Tybalt, you know, it's a lot of show. Tybalt then takes the opportunity to fatally wound Mercutio with a piece of glass famously under Romeo's arm. I have to say the wound didn't look fatal to me. Well, you don't know where that glass has been. Yeah, but that quickly he dies within like seconds. (laughs) He's got MRSA. (laughs) He's yelling out a plague on both your houses. Uh, Yeah. How quick to turn on the Montagues. I'm telling you, he was disgusted with Romeo. He was like, why are you letting this happen? You have to stand up and fight. Yeah, Yeah. And then he gets involved and then he gets himself killed. He's like, tis but a scratch. (laughs) (laughs) A scratch your arms off. (laughs) The hurricane is sweeping into the beach. It adds this intensity to the scene. Tybalt's like, oh shit, I gotta get out of here. Because now he's dead. This shot with Mercutio like dying is is really like insane. It's like a, a still shot for like so long. He's just laying on the beach and it shows Romeo like running all the way back to his car. And the camera is like fixing it on like the whole time. (laughs) Well, the news anchor at the beginning says two hours, and then they had to cut this movie to be exactly two hours, so they okay. probably extended yep. some things to make it work. <laughs> That's right. Romeo, now enraged over the murder of his best friend, chases after Tybalt. He ends up running him off of the road. Tybalt crashes. There's a confrontation. He has the upper hand at one point, but hesitates and doesn't shoot Romeo and ends up dropping the gun, and then ultimately Romeo That's shoots him dead. That's the thing. Tybalt's all talk. I wanted to just mention that Lerman shoots this violence in action like very bizarre. Yeah. It's not great. It's not like what you would see from like a John McTiernan or something. (laughs) You know, it's very heavy close-ups on faces and you don't actually see what they're doing. And then you sort of have to guess at what happened. Everything is close-up on faces to this movie. You have to see how everyone reacts to everything. Yeah, but it's weird when people are doing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what just happened exactly? And then all of a sudden there's a wound and you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually tough when Mercutio is actually killed. It's almost it's like the, it's like close-ups of like his shirt and stuff in the middle of this action. So it's really Well, even the part where Fulgencio slaps Tybalt at the party. Right, right. It's like what just happened? Yeah, you yeah. can't it, it's so hard to even tell. It's like shot very weird. <laughs> and Romeo just like calling Juliet after this happens like, "Uh, babe, <laughs> got some uh i messed up bad news yeah <laughs> so have you uh heard anything lately or <laughs> what do you know is your mom okay <laughs> captain prince ultimately banishes romeo from the city because there's some arguments from benvolio and such like hey it was a trade-off from mercutio's life tibal killed mercutio 
Romeo kills Tybalt, it should be fair. But ultimately, no one's happy. The Montagues think banishment is too severe. The Capulets think it's not as severe enough because right. supposedly death was promised. And now he's letting him leave the city. Romeo hides with Father Lawrence. Well, it's not really played out in this either, but I I know in the play, I think both Mercutio and Paris are supposed to be like kinsmen to the prince. Yes, so I think. they keep the line towards the end where he says, I lost a brace of kinsmen. Like, that's still in this movie. But I, I don't think it's supposed to be referencing <laughs> Mercutio. It but could be. I think it, definitely in the play it is. It could be, but yeah, yeah you don't know for sure in right, the movie. Right. At this point, Father Lawrence is in for a penny... In for a pound. He's just, he's got to stay involved because it's like, well, things have gone to hell pretty quick after I decided to do this. But this is like the Robert Forrester character in Breaking Bad. He's like, (laughs) got to go get him set up somewhere. Romeo's reaction is so over the top to this banishment. And this is what I was talking about earlier. And to be fair, Father Lawrence in the text actually does call Romeo out later and be like, what, what the fuck is wrong with you? Dude. I know. He's like, what do you want? You've gotten everything you want. Juliet's still alive. You slew Tybalt when Tybalt sought to, to slew de- you. You were supposed to be killed. And then you get off with banishment. Like yeah. every, Everything's working out. Quit being such a baby. Right. And it was reminding me of the stuff we talked about way back when we did the Virgin Suicides, thought- where it's just like this impatience of like yeah. this desperation of youth and just the inability right. to like see the big picture and just calm down i thought you were gonna say it reminded you of like conversations of us like driving around and you just being like matt <laughs> well it's yes. so wrong <laughs> <laughs> well for sure but i'm thinking more of like where this leads right. also like just yeah, this yeah. inability to like stop panicking mm-hmm. everybody in this movie starts panicking at a certain point the nurse arrives and tells romeo that juliet is waiting for him so we must consummate <laughs> Juliet is upset. But well, you know, he's like, Romeo's starting to get worried about an annulment. You know what I mean? Well, I think everyone was worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> but she forgives Romeo quickly and easily. She's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> While the newlyweds get down to business, her father decides she will marry Paris in just two days. I'm not really sure why. I guess they're pushing that she's so upset over Tybalt's death, although secretly she's more upset about stuff with Romeo. Mm-hmm. So her parents are just like, well, let's just plan a wedding to like shake That'll off this better. negative energy. Yeah. And of course it makes everything worse. Lady Capulet is obviously so distraught about to, <laughs> and you almost feel like Paul Servino, <laughs> Mr. Capulet is doing this for her too. You know, yeah. well, this will make them all happy. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. yeah. In the morning after a night of sex, mm-hmm. Romeo departs for Mantua. Juliet's mother informs her of this plan to marry Paris, and Juliet refuses, which causes a big scene in the Capulet house. Oh, yeah. Her father threatens to disown her, and her mother ultimately goes along with it. I think after, like, is it her her mother that gets hit at one point? Yes. And then the maid just gets, or the nurse gets, like, pushed. Uh Uh-huh. It's a scene. So the mother's just like, all right, well... She was trying to like protect her at one point and then was just like, You're on your own. Yeah, yeah, I can't deal with this. (laughs) So, my question here was, Why not just do that instead of what you ultimately do? If the threat is just being disowned, 
then how is that really any different than pretending to kill yourself and then sneaking off with your new husband? That's true, yeah. And the answer, I think, you have to ignore the fact that these characters are older in the movie. And you have to put yourself in the mindset of, like, well, the character of Juliet's like supposed to be like 13 or something. And as you said, never right. left the house. That's right. Never on her own. And even if there's any chance that she'd be on her own for a minute at that time period... She wouldn't know what to do. It would just be mm. a disaster. And she's scared. And so she needs that, like, assurance. Because at this point, Romeo left. He's in Mantua. Right. So she doesn't, like, know what to do. Yeah, she you... wouldn't know, even know how to get word to him. Maybe Father Lawrence could give some better guidance here, though. Right. Well, <laughs> as I put my very, very next note, this all sets off a string of panic moves made by everyone <laughs> that ultimately just leads to a disaster. Right. And it's sort of foreshadowed by Romeo's reaction to his banishment, where people just cannot calm down Mm -hmm. and see the big picture. Because, as you said, I mean, there's options here if they just don't panic, because now she's so afraid that she's going to be, like, double married or something. Yeah. (laughs) Which I don't even... Her second marriage would just ultimately be annulled if it came out. But she's so afraid, I guess, that, like, Paris is going to want to consummate the marriage or something. I don't know. She's a kid. Romeo will be like, Like, she's damaged goods. But yeah, it's that inability to adapt to bad circumstances. Whatever's happening in the moment is the end of the world. There's no calm. There's no, let's just wait and see how this plays out. What could be my next move? It's like everything has to happen immediately. Sure. And so she's afraid of all these different things going to happen. It's just a little bit harder to buy when they age everybody up. Right. And so you're like, well, why couldn't she just think of these things? If you take this. a second and you don't, and not everything has to be so reactionary. Yeah, because I was like, well, wait a minute. So the only threat is to be disowned, but isn't that what you're doing anyway? <laughs> right. Aren't you going to be disowned when people find out that you married Romeo? You're s- escaping Verona. That's the plan. A disownment only seems like it gets you there faster. Yeah. Juliet runs away and seeks out Father Lawrence. She has a just a complete freak out. So I almost like kind of buy him just being like, all right, here's a plan. Just get out of here. Because <laughs> she shows up and she's instantly like screaming and right. crying. I'm going to kill myself. Yeah, she has a gun to her head. You're like, oh, no, not again. <laughs> Father Lawrence gives her a potion that will allow her to fake her own death, after which she will be placed within the Capulet vault to awaken 24 hours later. What do you think Father Lawrence had this for? I don't know. Was that what he was telling those kids about? Yeah. Like it's when Romeo shows like up the it, first yeah. time? I don't know. Who knows? It's a MacGuffin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he also vows to inform Romeo of their plot via letter, whereupon the lovers can be reunited in the vault and escape Verona together to Mantua. This post-haste delivery service. Just dropping the ball. A lot of holes, yeah. Not a very solid courier service. Anyway, great plan, except, of course, Romeo never gets the letters. Can he get a message to Bartholomew or whatever his name is? The boy from Bring It On? Balthazar. Balthazar, yeah. There we go. Bartholomew. I knew that wasn't right. Yeah, well, you can tell that like he starts to panic at the funeral when he sees the, when Father Lawrence sees Balthazar see the body and oh, he yeah. starts running away and he's like, Uh-oh. Well, I hope that those letters got there. <laughs> But right before Juliet drinks the potion, like the night before her wedding to Paris, 
She says to her mother, like when her mother's saying goodnight, she says, God knows when we shall meet again. Uh, and her mother like does not react to that. Yeah, I'd be like, like well, okay, that's weird. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird thing to say. For sure. <laughs> well, I think she's like, this Juliet's a bit touched. Honestly, no one seems that broken up about it at the funeral, really. No. I mean, her mother's face is wet with tears, but Fulgencio's pretty stoic. For sure. And it, it's sort of a weird thing because then whenever ultimately at the end of the movie when the truth is revealed and what ends up happening, the emotions seem so much more. Right. Which I get it because then you're like, oh, wow, we went through this horrible thing and then we didn't have to go through it. And then all of a sudden we had to go through it again. It's a lot to process well, what just happened. The first one was a fake funeral. Basically. But I do think that it's very muted and it, i would yeah. say that this is like a weak part of the movie for me is the whole suicide sequence because it all blurs into the funeral very quickly i know it's like what is she getting buried within 24 hours because she's yeah. gonna wake up a day later you're right everyone is kind of underselling it it's like princess bride she's only mostly dead yeah i just don't get it like i would think that because she's so young and she's the only child in the movie that we know about i don't know if she has any brother and sisters it's like well i think Lady Capulet, there's just no tears left to cry after Tybalt. She has at least like the wet face. Like yeah. Fulgencio, who is probably should be feeling the guilt, doesn't seem to be reacting that much. I don't know. It just I want to like wallow in that sorrow at the funeral yeah, a little yeah. bit more. Maybe For we sure. could have trimmed down some of the other stuff if we needed to keep this as at exactly two hours. Yeah. Well, once once Romeo starts making his way back to Verona, it's like lightning quick at that point. Yeah. Balthazar, played by Jesse Bradford, who is famous for Bring It On. That's right. Some I was things. glad you called that out because I was, I was going to, I planned on bringing that up, but you beat me to it. I'm sure we'll do Bring It On on this show someday. Probably. <laughs> I've been thinking about it. Yeah. It's been in my mind. He drives to Mantua and tells Romeo, who is still unknowing, and Romeo proceeds to have a complete breakdown. <laughs> Just in this, it's like a desert RV park. Yeah. Is Mantua? It's a sad scene. I'm like, this is the best. This is where you ended up. <laughs> That's where I'm going to end up, probably. <laughs> That's probably Mostly nicer. there. More like Brad Pitt's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just like behind an old drive-in oh, theater. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Romeo, believing Juliet to be dead, storms back to the city and buys a vial of poison from an apothecary. Played by M. Mm. Emmett Walsh. That's right. The guy from Blood Simple, Blade Runner. Youth in Revolt. That's right. Camp Nowhere. Yeah, a lot of things. <laughs> Father Lawrence now is panicking. He's realizing that the letters might not have got there. Captain Prince and the cops seemingly aware of Romeo's return, and so there's all these helicopters in the air. There's like this police big, chase. Big helicopter presence in Verona. For I'd sure. Say. I'm not really sure how they know that he's just back. Word travels. I feel like the priest should instinctively know to go to Juliet at this point. Yeah. Like, does he not know that that's where Romeo's going to go? I know. Sort of drops the ball once again. I feel like later on down the road, he was like, you know, I could have done more to prevent this from happening. <laughs> then just shrugs. Right. <laughs> Romeo evades the police and uses a hostage to be able to enter the church where Juliet lies. Yeah, he's full-on deranged lunatic at this point. Once again, another stunning visual... An aisle of flowers and lighted blue crosses and other mm -hmm. lights and candles. It just an this insane look, display. I, this look kind of just captures the vibe of the whole movie. Yeah, it's sort of a neo-gothic or neon-gothic almost thing where it's so overdone but very colorful. 
and crazy. Looks awesome. Probably like the complete opposite of what my funeral situation will be. It would just be like a brown sack thrown into the dumpster. I, I was thinking more like Big Lebowski where we just put your ashes in a fucking Coffee Folgers can. can. They blow back in your face. That's right. <laughs> just an insane setup for Juliet. Seems like a little bit of a fire hazard with all those candles just burning a there. A million candles. <laughs> Romeo goes to her body and notices immediately that she doesn't seem dead. <laughs> Dude, she stupid idiot. She grabs his hand at some point, like before. He, well, yeah, I mean, we're not quite to that second yeah, I know, yet. But I, I, I don't know. know. There's a lot. He's of like laying with her and talking to her, and it just goes on and on forever. And he keeps saying, "Like Val doesn't seem dead." <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal? Art Thou still alive? In the play, I think <laughs> in the play, I think when he goes to like the crypt or wherever this is happening, Paris is there and he gets in like one more duel with him and like kills him. It would have been great if Paul Rudd was just here and he just shot him. <laughs> just and he's not even like aware. Like no, he's just like, just like this dope. Like, hey, were you at that party? Did you see those balloons? And <laughs> Romeo just shoots him in the face. Overcome with grief after an extended monologue and a fair amount of corpse kissing and petting, <laughs> Romeo drinks the poison. Oh, yeah. It was almost like a neon demon scene. <laughs> I was about to make the same joke. <laughs> yeah, he was getting a little frisky with the corpse. It's That's like, right, yeah. I know that she actually is alive, but dude, come on. Yeah, disrespectful. Just as Juliet awakens from her sleep, as you said, and She's laying there looking at him, and she's just smiling, and it's like, say something. Say something. Say something. Nope. (laughs) Too late. She's coming, too, from this potion. (laughs) And then he sees that she's still alive right after he drank the potion. He's just like, I made a big mistake. How is this possible? (laughs) Fast acting poison. That's right. Dies almost immediately. It's like the beginning of Prometheus, where his body just starts breaking down, and it's like horrifying. (laughs) A lot of eye movement from Claire Danes working herself up for these tears just back and forth over Romeo's body. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really like knocking it. It's just sort of funny and well she's confused. It's just clearly Claire Danes process right. here to like work up those tears, but yeah, her eyes are darting back and forth a bunch of times. Now the roles are reversed. Distraught over the death of Romeo, Juliet picks up his gun and shoots herself in the head. Yeah. <laughs> Dying next to him, her blood spattered onto his face. Really like a cheerful pick-me-up for all the teen girls out there enjoying this. And Matt. <laughs> Imagine being... Exactly, yeah. That was the uh You're watching this like in your English class. You're just weeping. That's right. I'm like cla- I'm applauding at the end of it. <laughs> like standing up. Everyone's just like, what are you Everyone's doing? Everyone's asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Weren't you the one dude that did Juliet's part? <laughs> We're never going to forget that. Yeah. <laughs> Your nickname in high school was Juliet. <laughs> the film closes with Captain Prince blaming the families for their children's deaths, yeah, ordering to them to end their feud permanently. Captain Prince is like a dude throughout the movie who's just like, oh my God, with you people. Really? I know that the rest of the city looks like a shithole, but you guys are the only ones that are causing yeah. me problems. Well, if Captain Prince could actually get like a Rico case going against these two, you know? <laughs> yeah. Bring, that should be the sequel. Bring down these crime organizations. Romeo and Juliet, too. Yeah. I mean, not for nothing. These are two criminal families. 
Yeah, but we don't know the specifics. That's true. Who knows? And we see the anchor again, and she takes us out. It's the tragedy of Juliet and her Romeo. See what a scourge is laid upon your hate. That heaven finds means to kill your joys with love. And I for winking at your discords to have lost a brace of kinsmen. All are punished. A glooming peace this morning with it brings. The sun, for sorrow, will not show his head. Go hence to have more talk of these sad things. Some shall be pardoned, and some punished. For never was a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. And I think it's a good movie. It's strange, and it's definitely an artifact of the 90s. For sure. Because yeah. even if they were to do that now, and they do obviously release various Romeo and Juliets from time to time. Yeah, yeah. If they were to do a modern one now, it would probably be like a lot of Twitter and internet-related stuff. <laughs> a lot of subtweeting back and forth between the two families. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I can't even imagine how horrible that yeah, would be. A, a lot of arguments over which family is more woke. Well, like one family is like anti-vax and oh, yeah. <laughs> won't wear masks right. and stuff. <laughs> oh God, yeah. it sounds horrible. I'm thankful that this version snuck in there pre-internet because God knows how many horrible things would be integrated into it. For sure. Like I don't need to see them with cell phones and Facebook and that kind of shit. It's just like, ugh. well, I think if Facebook was around, this just never happens because they just realize how many options are out there. That's yeah. true. Yeah, I think out of the Shakespearean adaptations post this movie, you have to really stray from the source material like a 10 Things I Hate About You or something yeah. for it to really gain any traction. I think the window probably closed because of things like that. Because if you're going to do a period piece, it's not going to probably get anywhere mainstream-wise. Because right. you know they do various Macbeths and different things every couple of years mm-hmm. or hamlets or whatever they never really are hits or anything and so if you try to do like a modern one or an updated thing you have to really go a route where the story is kind of buried like she's the man or something oh yeah stuff like that where it just is so far from right the shakespearean text and all that stuff but yeah it was definitely a moment in time it was a a defining movie of the 90s and it yeah every girl i ever knew pretty much liked it and matt yep well, like you said. <laughs> so thanks to Ariane for the listener request. If you have one, you can let us know on Twitter at Greatest Pod. What are you doing? What? what? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Let's do a couple of recommendations on our way out i was gonna recommend it's another one that was a 2020 movie had some oscar nominations i watched it just after the oscars made by an 
a Danish filmmaker, Thomas Vinterberg, I think is the name. <laughs> Falling asleep over there. This another round. It's got that mod Mickelson in it. For... Yes, they're remaking it. That's right. With Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah, supposedly. Yeah. I mean, um, long way from that actually happening, but that's the yeah, talk. kind of a dark movie. You know, there's obviously some comedic elements to it as well as these dudes just like drink nonstop. I, I heard it compared to Husbands a little bit. It is a little bit like that. Yeah, <laughs> people are like, "Oh yeah, that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Cassavetes, of course. It is that that mix of kind of dark, comedic, gritty slice of life. But I enjoyed it. And is I, it still on Hulu? It is. Yeah, free? it is streaming on on Hulu. I think the director's daughter like passed away and dedicated. Yeah. So that's what we found that out the night we watched the Oscars. Right. He said something about her, and we had planned on watching this like the the following night because we were trying to watch a bunch of the. 2020 movies but that sort of has like a dark aura to the movie as well because it's just so sad yeah but i did enjoy it overall my recommendations are going to be a couple of movies from the 80s both directed by albert brooks first lost in america from 1985 oh you mean the criterion i would always pick up and you'd be like oh my god you're not buying that are you <laughs> you would just shame me into not buying yeah because you just were like i like the cover <laughs> You didn't know who Albert Brooks yes, was. Yes, I do. Get out of here. <laughs> Stop it. You don't know who anybody yeah. is. That movie's great. I've watched it a few times now because I love Julie Haggerty in it, and I just love the whole concept of it. It's, it's kind of a minimalist movie because it's a guy that like quits his corporate job and right. It's you know. super funny. The whole the stuff with them at Las Vegas is just unbelievable. How great it is. Oh yeah. <laughs> And I don't know, for people who don't know Albert Brooks, it's like sort of like Woody Allen, but the comedy style is like a little different, but sort of the it's, same like neurotic for sure. energy. Just he sort has of a, a very dry delivery. Yeah. It's sort of that's like the actual comedy's a little different, but the mm-hmm. the ingredients are kind of the same, for if sure. you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Somehow the result's a little different. But he writes and directs them. Lost in America, you can watch on Tubi for free or one ninety nine on Amazon for a rental. And then 1981's Modern Romance, which is only a two ninety nine rental. It wasn't streamed anywhere for free. This is Brooks and Catherine Harold, who looks incredible in this movie. Okay. And this movie is just, it hits so close to home <laughs> with oh, relationships yeah. Yeah. and just inability to just decide what to do and indecision. Both of these movies are very funny. The opening scene where they break up in Modern Romance is hilarious to me. And I would recommend checking them both out. I, they might be on Criterion Channel. They were at one point. I know that there was <laughs> I'm like sure a lot of Brooks. the listeners have that. <laughs> well, that's a, okay. I wanted to bring it up anyway, even though I don't have it anymore because I own so many of them on Blu ray. That's right. And even the movies that aren't Criterion movies, I own a lot of those on Blu ray too that they put on there. You know what I'm always seeing now on Criterion Channel? They're always advertising movies that I'm buying on like other. Yeah. Like they just had the last detail up there. Right. Yeah. So I would say that because a lot of these people listening to this might not be as into buying physical media. So if you're not, but you're interested in film and you would like to learn more about film. The Criterion Channel, which is like what ten bucks a month or something, yeah, that might be like the best streaming service if you're like, I'd like to get into this stuff, but I don't want to spend a ton of money on Blu-rays and different things like that. 
because I think they have like a lot of great stuff and they've like curated like selection. Definitely, yeah. They get cool stuff that you wouldn't see pop up on other streaming services. Yeah, like they had an Albert Brooks section for like a lot of his movies and stuff like that. Now, I do want to warn you that if you look these movies up on Roku, the little like rectangles that pop up for them, I don't know if you would call them posters because I don't know if they were actually ever posters for these movies. They're just like the little streaming squares, you Mm -hmm. know are insane they don't look like anything from the movie the one for lost in america makes it look like some sort of serious like a civil war movie or like i don't know it's like a shape of america with like the flag over it it's like crazy interesting and then modern romance is insane it's albert brooks and katherine harold on a roller coaster it looks like clearly photoshopped it looks like it's almost trying to be like national lampoons modern romance or something except national lampoons from like 2008 oh yeah like it looks terrible dorm days yeah like that kind of a poster but they're on a roller coaster they're not on a roller coaster in the movie at all it makes it look like it's just some sort of goofy slapstick comedy or something i don't know where these things came from don't be put off by that okay (laughs) these are serious movies not serious but they're real movies they're not like some joke or something they just released another albert brooks movie on criterion so i mean yeah I feel like those are sort of underseen, undervalued comedies that people should check out. For sure. I think Albert Brooks probably has like, I don't know, four to six movies that are yeah. considered like his really good period. Right. Not The Muse. No. <laughs> I think the last one most people is Mother with Debbie Reynolds. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then like that and everything before that. Right. But everything after that, I think people are sort of down on. Okay. Because didn't he do the... The one baseball movie? Isn't he like involved in a baseball movie? Uh, I don't recall that, but... It's like The Scout or something? That could be. That seems... But I think he rewrote that. That wasn't okay. like his original thing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there were some weird choices in there. Okay. And then, of course, making the great acting comeback in Drive. Yeah. And didn't he play like Paul Rudd's dad? Dave Paris's dad in This Is 40? That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening. We're going to be back probably tuesday or wednesday of next week with another new episode then we'll probably get back on schedule then we'll do one trashy summer thanks so much for listening follow the show on twitter yeah subscribe on apple podcasts give us a rating and review if you haven't already we would appreciate it it always makes us feel good to see people saying nice things about the show or give us a negative one if you really want although if you're if you're this deep into the episode i feel like you're going positive I, Hopefully, it's really. I, I commend you if you've hung on this long and you're are going to give us a one negative star. review. <laughs> That's commitment. Follow us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby, and we'll talk to you real soon. Love struck Romeo, see the streets a serenade, laying everybody low with a love song that he made. You find the street light. Steps out of the shade Says something like You and me, babe How about it? Juliet says Hey, it's Romeo You nearly gave me a heart attack He's underneath the window She's singing Hey, love, my boyfriend's back You shouldn't come around here Singing up to people like that Anyway, what you gonna do about it? Dice was loaded from the start And I bet that you exploded in my heart And I forget
Dick, this is where I'd tell you to suck it. 